pray that God's word may be a blessing to us. Father, we want to pray that your word would be a blessing to us and we would serve you well with it as we respond to it. That we be renewed and refreshed in your word today so that we might move ahead in this week and even in this time uh, with a desire to praise you well. Belong to your Son and Spirit, your one only God. We pray that your Spirit would be at work in us as He has also inspired His Word that He has passed, that He has had others pass. We pray that you hear us in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to be taking a look at Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 to 16 this morning as we are carrying on in our look at the Heidelberg Catechism and the confession that we make as Christians about God's Son, as we hear in Lord's Day 15, suffered. And when we look at the impact of that, that way, today, as we pick it up from Hebrews chapter 13, Lord's Day 15, found on page 32, in the Back in the blue hymnal, but before we read that, we'll take a moment to look at Hebrews 13, verses 7 to 16. And there it says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teaching, for it is good for the heart to strengthen by grace, not by food, which has not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the body of those animals' blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest to sacrifice for sin or burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate. In order to sanctify the people through his own blood. And therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he, he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Don't neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And we'll stop our reading there and uh, pick up a moment from Lord's Day 15. I'll read these answers for questions here. Page 22, if you want to follow along. Question 37 asks, what do you understand by the word suffered during full life on earth? And especially at the end, Christ sustained in body and soul the anger of God against the sin of the whole human race. This he did in order that by his suffering as the only atonement sacrifice, he might set us free, body and soul, from eternal condemnation and gain for us God's grace, righteousness, and eternal life. Question 38 asks, why did he suffer upon his pile of judge? So that he who was so innocent might be condemned by a civil judge and so free us from the severe judgment of God that was to fall on us. Question 39 asks, is it significant that he was crucified instead of dying in other way? Yes, his death convinces me that he shouldered the curse which lay on me since death by crucifixion was cursed by God. 
grateful for God's word. May it be a blessing to us today. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, uh, once we, uh, often I should say, we know the kind of an impact a person has on us, just by the way that they might imitate us, or how we might imitate them. Uh, often we, we, we still hear about how our children may walk like us, or talk like us, or may act like us in certain ways. I used to have that happen a lot. I remember with my oldest son, and he'd be far away from somewhere where we were, and we were far away from someone, uh, he was far away from someone, and they thought, well, there, there, goes, there goes John. And they looked closer as he got older, as he got closer, and they said, oh, no, 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 that's, that's Timothy. Tim, his son, but he looks like him, and he acts like him, he walks like him. Uh, no wonder I got him confused. Uh, he didn't quite look facially like me, but there were other ways that he looked like me, or he acted like me. Uh, and and we, we find that, that people can be that way. It doesn't have to be family that way, but, but just in, in life in general. Uh, and, and we shouldn't be surprised that that kind of thing happens, because we're made the image of God to begin with. As human beings, by our very nature, for the good or the bad, we become imitators of other people. Or we become imitators, we're called to be imitators of God. Uh, but we also find ourselves to be imitators, or at least we're called to that, to be imitators of the godly in Christ. And we either do that, or we find ourselves imitating the world in its pattern. But we can't get away from that. Because one way or the other, we do that. It's just it's part of who we are as those made in God's image. In our passage, we're reminded of that very thing. Uh, we're reminded that the impact, that particularly that Christ's suffering has on us, is reflected uh, on whether or not we find ourselves following his ways as well as others following Christ. So the impact of Christ's suffering is remarkable. Considering it's changing our status before God through faith, but also by how it impacts us in terms of our behavior, because now we want to be followers of Christ. And we want to take a look at this morning at, at the impact of Christ's suffering and, and how it changes our status before God, but also how it impacts uh, who we follow and the importance of that. One remarkable matter about Christ's suffering and our reaction to it is this. This, this interchange between Christ and his own. And really, that makes up the point of our sermon this morning, too. Because Christ, on the one hand, uh, takes on our sin. So that not only can we be reconciled with God, but also so that we might, in turn, imitate him. Christ takes the punishment that we deserve, but then trusting him for doing that, we hear the call to be like Christ in how we behave. Boiling it down, we can say this. Christ takes on our sin, and we take on Christ. And we see that, first of all, in this passage, how Christ took the punishment that we deserve, the just and the unjust. Our passage declares to us that Christ suffered outside the gates for us that he might sanctify or set apart the people with his own blood. The context of, of this declaration helps us understand what all that means, of course. 
We get reminders as we were to go there in the Old Testament, Exodus 29.14 is one passage, Exodus 29.14. Levit Leviticus 4, verse 12 and 21. Leviticus 4, 12 and 21. Uh, those are reminders that we should look to, and they're given to us regarding the Old Testament sacrifices for sin. Where the blood brought into the sanctuary, the holy place of the temple, to atone for sin, but the sacrificed bodies are burned outside the camp. Now, why are the bodies burned outside the camp? Well, if they were left inside the camp, and if they were burned inside the camp, what would happen is, is that would bring defilement to the camp. These animals that were burned outside the camp and not inside the camp symbolize the defilement of sin. And then the defilement of the people and the sin of the people. Because these animals had been used as substitutes, symbolically, for the people and their sins. Bearing symbolically the sins of the people. These animals then needed to be burned in sanctity but it needed to be done outside of the place where God was dwelling with his people lest the camp become defiled and lest the relationship between God and his people uh, be uh, broken down that way. Well, says the writer of Hebrews, he was in fulfillment, he says, that's what Jesus does. He goes outside the gate to suffer for the sake of his people. He bears the curse of his people so that they'll no longer be defiled. He takes on then what really belongs to the people to take. He wasn't unrighteous. The people were unrighteous. Those who rejected him were unrighteous. So are we. But he bears curse for his people. Not in the holy city, as it were, but outside of it. So that his people might be sanctified and cursed removed. Now to think that Jesus didn't suffer when nails were placed in his hands or his feet, or, or, or that he didn't suffer when he was whipped and flogged and mocked is not the course. However, he suffered even more than we would see on the surface. All of these sufferings happened to him, after all, as the one who took upon himself the cursedness that we deserved and that he mir and mirrored what we truly were. And while undefiled himself, treated by men as the undefiled. Or I should say, he treated by men as the defiled. Which speaks to what Jesus was taking on behalf of his people. And that really added to his suffering. He treated as the defiled, and he's the undefiled. This is, this is the ultimate unjust act in the world. It's always a cons consolation that way for us. We're unjustly treated to know how Christ knows what that's like to, to the utmost. And 
how God then was able to turn that and use it to Christ's glory and how that reminds us about how we always say that in our forums, how he can take the things that happen to our house and turn it to our property through God. But yet his suffering isn't merely a suffering at the hands of unjust men who treat him as defiled when he wasn't. That's not the end of it. That, and if that's all we gain from this, then we haven't gained enough when we're thinking about the suffering of Christ. Because it's the suffering that he undertakes to handle the thought of justice in the place of those that Christ came to save. The just, the unjust. As we're called to confess, Christ takes on our defilement. And if we miss that truth, then we haven't fully or sufficiently understood the suffering of Christ. I mean, we can see the nails put in his hands, so to speak, and, and the people crucified him, and, and, and that people crucified him, and that they spat upon him, and he was mocked, and we can say that it was all unjustly done. Poor Jesus, what he had to suffer. Yeah, that's true. But those things in and of themselves are not unique acts in this world. Because many have been spat upon. And many have been mocked. And certainly in that day, many have been crucified. And many, and many could say it, that they know. You could probably easily turn and, and, and look and ponder and say, I know when I've been unjustly treated. What makes Christ's suffering unique and worthy of a profession of faith, you see, because that's not what we do. We don't say, you know, I profess that I suffer. No, I say, I profess that Christ suffered. And why? Because the way he suffered was unique, special, like no other. What makes Christ's suffering unique and worthy of a profession of faith is that Christ's suffering has to be viewed as the substitutionary sacrifice for the sake of his people, that he endured the wrath of God for the people's sake. And see, in that sense, he becomes us. That's after all why the word became flesh. He becomes us, sin excluded, but yet becoming sin for us. He bears our sin in his flesh. If we don't understand the suffering of Christ that way, my friends, what we end up doing then is we end up undervaluing what Christ endured for us in his suffering. And we don't appreciate Christ like we should. We undervalue Christ. And then the reason then why the desire to praise him is supposed to be so strong for us. With grateful heart, my praise I praise. Because many people could say, I, I have nails in my hand. There's people here probably who have had it even at work where they got a nail in their hand. Or I've had people make fun of me. Have you ever had that voice in your own church? 
Somebody makes fun of you. You don't like it, do you? I, I've had that happen to you. <coughs> I've had it happen to me. We've all had that probably at some point. There's been people, somebody might well, I've had people hit me before. And I've had people who have deserted me, who I thought I could always depend on, and they turned their back on me. And I've been treated unjustly before. I know what it feels like to be treated unjustly. But you have not, and I have not, and I cannot bear my sin or the sin of another by way of the wrath of God. We haven't suffered that way. And whatever we suffer, never suffering like this suffering. It can take our sin away and make us right to God. It cannot cleanse us. It cannot reconcile us. It cannot appease us. It cannot satisfy God. Only Christ's suffering of the wrath of God outside the camp, outside of the gates, can accomplish that for us. That's why we profess it. That's why we praise God for it. Only Christ's suffering can have that kind of deep, positive, God-reconciling, praise-filled impact on a person's life. And that's why you and I are to find our glory cross. In the power of the cross of Jesus Christ, his suffering under conscious Pilate. We must see him as the one who has taken our place so that our status with God can change from condemnation to justification in Christ through the suffering servant of the Lord. And that's the confession we make, isn't it? That he might set us free, body and soul from eternal condemnation, and gain for us God's righteousness and eternal life and grace. So God takes that on for us, but then we take on Christ when we've known the amazing impact of Christ's suffering to reconcile us. So that, that suffering will have an impact on our status with God through faith, but then also about what it means for us to be a follower. We're all going to be followers, but are we going to follow Christ? But we will if we take on the impact of Christ's suffering as we ought. Our passage speaks very much to that in terms of education. And we didn't even get a read farther and even more of that. Follow those who have spoken the word of God to you and consider the outcome of their conduct and their way of life. But then we hear what kind of imitating impact Christ's suffering is supposed to have on our conduct. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Christ going outside of the camp is both an indication of the bearing of God's curse, uh, but also, as we mentioned a moment ago, it was also undeniably a reproach that he had to bear by those from those who rejected him. Unjustly so, but a reproach nonetheless. And we cannot bear the curse of God, of course, but 
but we can imitate Christ in bearing reproach. Should we read, in other words, that we're called to be imitators of Christ? Who are willing to suffer for the sake of Christ? And why be so willing? It's because we have no lasting city, but we seek the one that is to come. You know, many who read this letter for the first time, that suffering probably meant being ostracized from their family and from Jewish institutions like the temple and synagogue. These, they were, there would be places where they once belonged. And now they didn't belong there anymore. And they would be disowned and, and they might lose friends and they might lose family and they might lose more than that, perhaps even their lives. And the temptation then was to fall back to these Old Testament ways and feasts and offerings and sacrifices where, for instance, they would partake of the sacrificial system or they would they'd participate with the rest of the people in that Old Testament context in the sacramental feasts that were, or the uh, ceremonial feasts that were taking place, the ceremonial food. And part of that temptation was that, no doubt, people were telling them, look, if you come back, you'll belong again. You'll belong to the people that are doing this, and you'll belong to God, supposedly. Again, you can read in uh, places like Leviticus 6 and 7, particularly verses 18 and 29, Leviticus 18, 18 and 29, uh, Leviticus 7, 28-36. Some remarkable words there about where the priests of the Old Testament would get the right to eat from various portions of grain, sin, and peace offerings for holy purposes. And, and the writer of Hebrews is referring to that, he's alluding to that, when he's talking about the fact that uh, he says, I'm trying to find exactly the right word, but it's verse 10. We have an altar from which those Serve the tent. Have no right to eat. So these Christian people, many of whom were Jewish, were being told that if they, if they followed Christ, they were missing out. Of course, that's that's always a little bit of a that's certainly a strong temptation anyway, right? Is that if you follow Christ, you're missing out in the world. You're missing out on the fun things, you're missing out on uh, becoming anything you want to be. Follow Christ and miss out. Common temptation. Well, these people are being tempted to believe that if they follow Christ, they'd be missing out. They'd be missing out on, on, on all the benefits of the Old Testament feasts, all the benefits of the Old Testament ceremonial foods, all the benefits of the Old Testament ways, and in missing out, what's going to happen? They'll be defiled. They'll be outside the fellowship. They'll be outside the camp. They'll be unclean. They'll be unworthy of God's presence. Unworthy of being in what would what these people were thinking were part of this holy fellowship. Unworthy of God's blessing, of God's uh, of God's saving love. They'd be as defiled as the burned animal. They'd be as defiled as Christ. 
But the writer says, don't worry. He says, bear the reproach. And why? Why is it worth it? When I, I seemingly am missing out on so much if I follow Christ. Well, if you bear the reproach, then in so doing, what you're doing is you're imitating in a priestly way the Savior, the great high priest. Bear the reproach because he says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. And how is that? Well, in Christ, we become right priests in our own right. And while those priests in the Old Testament could partake of these animals and of this rain and all of this as a, as a sign of holiness, our holiness to come, what we get to do is we get to partake of Christ. We partake of a better sacrifice than the person of Jesus Christ. And we don't need ceremonial food. Because we're strengthened by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. As we come before the heavenly altar with Christ, the great high priest, yesterday, today, and forever well. So we worship at a better place. We worship in heaven itself as a holy priesthood where Christ dwells for us. And we get to offer sacrifices of various kinds as priests of God in Christ. And that's what the passage says, doesn't it? We offer our worship the fruit of lips that continually give thanks to God by way of Christ. That that. The that we do and the generosity that we can show, they're also sacrifices before the Lord to please Him. We've done it better than the old way. This is a better way. This is a new way. And remember, our hope isn't on earth and earthly cities made by men, but in heaven, as a, the heavenly city whose builder and architect is God and where Christ sits at his right hand. And so, bear the reproach, he says. And that bearing, after all, imitates Christ. You're not missing out on anything when you don't eat the food of the feast or as the priests eat ceremonially what you cannot. But you've got the bread of life from which you can partake. He supplies grace and mercy to you. And in your worship and in your works, then, you're imitating Christ, the great high priest, who serves at his Father's right hand as the ascended Lord and who supplies so richly for you. You are not missing out when you're a follower of Christ and you know the impact of Christ's sacrifice and suffering for you.
and we realize what an impact that Christ's suffering has had on us, we want to follow nobody like we want to follow him. And we're willing to suffer for him and to praise him and to live for him. And we give as he gives and we serve in God's presence even as Christ still serves. And we do, we do so continually even as Christ does so before God for our sake. We're not missing out on anything. And so the bottom line is that we're to profess that Christ takes us on to save us so that we might take him on and serve him. Christ takes on our sins so that we might be sanctified so that we might follow our Savior. That's life for Christians. And that's life, truly life. Christ's suffering impacts our status before God, but it also impacts us to follow Christ all our days. How does, how does Christ's suffering impact you? How do you feel it? Do you see it as a suffering like no other? As he bears your sin so you can cleanse before God? Does it impact you so much that you say, I, I want to follow no one like I follow Christ? I'll bear his reproach. I'll worship him as priest. I'll live for him as priest that, 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 that very way. Even if Christ did it and is doing that for me. It is said that, that you can tell how much impact a person has had on your life or has had on somebody by way of imitation. Through faith in the suffering Christ, we're made right with God, like Christ is right with God. And because he suffered for us, let's go forth to him, outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Let's praise God continually through Christ. Let's deserve Christ. Let's be like Christ that way too. For the sake of suffering for us. Let's, let's be able to say, we're becoming like Christ because he became sin for us through his suffering. Amen. <coughs> Father, we are we're grateful for what Christ has taken on for his people through suffering. And we're grateful then, Lord, when we profess by grace this marvelous truth that we may become and take on Christ, whether it's enduring hardship for him or taking on these priestly callings to worship you as we do from Lord's Day to Lord's Day, but also in the service to which you called us to do good to those around us and to praise every day. We're grateful, Father, in the midst of whatever suffering we might have to face in our lives that we can always look to Christ and see what his suffering has meant for him and meant for us. 
so that we might not despair, we might not think we're missing out because we're following Christ, but that the benefits divine which we possess in Christ are vast. We're grateful for what Christ has taken on and for us, and we pray that we might all more every day take on Christ in our lives. We pray that you hear us in Jesus.